everybody, Chris Harry with you on Chargers Weekly. A bit later, I'll be joined by CBS Sports senior NFL writer Will Brinson. We're going to talk about his time in Orlando for NFL owners meetings, plus his latest NFL mock draft that has the Chargers taking a player that I think fans would be pretty happy with. But first, USA Today NFL columnist Jared Bell on the newest NFL rule changes and other takeaways from Commissioner Roger Goodell's press conference. All right, here with the great Jared Bell on Chargers Weekly. And Jared, I watched the commissioner's press conference. It looks like he was ribbing you for asking too many questions, although they were pretty good questions. <laughs> yeah, you get that sometimes. That, that's what happens when you know you've been around for a while. Um, good-natured <clears throat> ribbing from the commissioner, uh, no doubt. But, you know, I was curious because we've got this new rule now that they've instituted that is going to mandate that uh, lowering the head yes. and striking with the helmet is outlawed. And I think it's a really well-intentioned rule. The NFL has made so many changes in recent years as awareness about the long-term effects of concussions has heightened. And so here's another rule change. But this one is, is a bit puzzling in the process, the manner in which it was pushed through so quickly. I mean, this was something that was not really on the radar of a lot of the media anyway. Now, I don't know how much club people knew about it. The competition committee obviously knew it was trying to work to do this. A lot of players came out immediately after the rule was passed and expressed surprise, bewilderment, questions about how the techniques would be applied. So this was not typical of how the NFL goes about making a significant rule change. Usually, Chris, you know, it's kind of like, uh, they'll have uh, <laughs> trial balloons floated out there. There'll be sure. debates. There'll be video, um, all of that. None of that came up in the press conference we had earlier this week with the competition committee. None of it came up last week with the, the conference call we had with the competition committee. So when it went through earlier this week, it was a surprise. So here, just quickly on the questions that <laughs> the commissioner was, was giving me the business about, um, I think this is going to be something, and the commissioner pretty much agreed, that is going to have to be allowed to be reviewed by instant replay. And you've ha- you have no rules to this point that fall under that mandate. I'm talking not rules, penalties, right? You, you know, obviously uh, replay works for touchdowns and possession and turnovers and things of that nature, but not for fouls. And so this is going into a totally different territory, but the commissioner agreed if you're going to eject somebody from a game because of, you know, violation of this new rule, then it has to be reviewable. That being said, the other part of the question was, okay, what's going to mandate a 15 yard penalty versus an ejection versus even beyond that, if a guy gets fined or suspended and the league is going to work, in the, in the coming weeks, really, at kind of establishing those standards of, you know, how egregious one hit is versus another. So we'll see. It's a work in progress. And um, just when the NFL has clarified the catch rule, there's now another new rule to uh, ignite some confusion. And, and like you said, Jared, this is something that was, I think, surprising to a lot of people. From what you gather uh, from talking to the commissioner today and, and just folks in Orlando, is this going to be a mm-hmm. process over the offseason where they're going to figure out how to implement this? Because, you know, if you take this by the letter of the law, 
I mean, this this could be called on every single play. So is this something that you think will be evolving over the offseason as we head into September? Oh, no doubt. No doubt at all. And, I mean, start with the players who are the ones who the rule is designed to protect and also the ones who are going to have to alter techniques in some cases. And And so I'm going to be very curious to see if we're talking about the routine, you know, collision in the trenches, right? Sure. Where a head, you know, may go down. I mean, even look, think about a quarterback sneak, right? Exactly. You think about giving the, the snap to Phillip Rivers on fourth and inches, and there's a little gap there, and he's diving head first just to get that, you know, three inches or whatever. I mean, you're leading with the head. So the letter of the law is um, very simple in what it says it outlaws, but for all of the rules that are in the NFL rule book, this might be the shortest. Okay. I looked at it last night. I didn't go through the whole rule book to compare, but I don't know if I've ever seen no no rules come to my mind that I think are as short as this one. And basically the rule, if I could memorize it, it's like um, it's illegal to lower your head and strike with the helmet. And the penalty is either 15 yards with possible ejection. That's pretty much the rule. And that's in two parts. (laughs) Okay. Wow. 15 yards in the ejection. That's like the note to the rule. Uh, the note is longer than the actual rule. So um, that leaves a, a lot of um, area for interpretation, a lot of area for subjectivity. And so as you suggest and as others have suggested uh, in trying to you know, process what's going on here, uh, yeah, it is going to be an evolution. So, so Goodell said today that one of the things that is going to happen immediately is that you know, NFL officials, people from the officiating department, um, he will get with every team in the NFL over the next 90 days to kind of have these seminars. And the NFL typically will do something like that when they have rules. They'll have rules seminars every year, but it's going to be important for the players, the coaches, and the game officials too, the guys on the field, to get together over the next few months to really kind of um, get a better understanding of exactly how the rule is going to be applied, what the expectations are. And obviously, like you said at the top, this is made to make the game safer. So this is a good thing in the long run. It's just a matter of the implementation and players getting used to a, a very new rule. And, and one of the obvious uh, rules that was changed was the catch rule. It was voted unanimously 32-0. <laughs> and it sounds simple, yeah. Jared. You, you tell me, you must have control two feet or a body part down, and then you got to make a football move. Is it easy as that? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so what comes out is as important as what it is. They definitely cleaned up the language, and it kind of goes back to what the old rule was before we got into replay and, and got into expanding the language on that rule. So, yeah, two feet down, that's it. Possession of the ball, which could also mean the ball is still moving in your hand and you have possession and control of it. And that was a real sticking point in terms of how you interpret that language before. Now it's the language is pretty much saying loss of control. So you can have the, have the ball in your hand and spin it in your hand with two hands, right? <laughs> um, and you still have control of it as opposed to not having control. So it's going to take a lot to, to not have control. And that usually means, you know, you're dropping it and somebody's swatting it out of the hand or something like that. But the two feet, um, is the clear definition of you know being in bounds or you know having uh, the, the opportunity to to come down. But the thing that's out of it 
that, that stressed out is surviving the ground. And that was always the one that caused a lot of problems because, you know, guys would make a catch and then they'd lunge for the goal line, think Des Bryant, think Jesse James, and then the ball would come out and then all of a sudden it's an incompletion when you know the guy had the ball for, you know, one second, two seconds, right? you know, maybe longer than that, right? So we'll see. So I'm happy about it as a as an observer. But now we got something else to to uh, get our arms around. Yeah, you know the other side of it too, Jared, is that you know I heard Steve Weiss on the NFL Network talk about this today. Is that we're probably going to see more fumbles now because that catch rule. If you have control, make a football move. Sometimes the ball comes loose, and they were calling it an incomplete pass this past season. Right. That's going to be a fumble now. So that's that's going to lead to some more potential excitement for the defense. Yeah, it, I think it will. It, 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 and from what the competition committee uh, indicated at one of the briefings this over the past week or so, um, they expect there will be more fumbles just by virtue of you know the plays that were incomplete before, as as you mentioned. Um, how many is that going to be over the course of the season? Maybe we're talking. It, it, it's tough to really kind of um, predict it unless you really you know go through all the statistics and the and the video, but. You know, this might result in, you know, a couple fumbles per week per team. So uh, I guess that's more incentive for the defense to keep playing through the whistle. Jared, uh, Commissioner also talked about the the new Los Angeles Stadium at Hollywood Park. Says it's going to be the greatest stadium in the world. And I'm sure there was a lot of buzz about what's to come in L.A. in two years and really how much that building is going to host future NFL events like the draft and maybe even potentially the combine. Yeah, yeah, I got, uh, I've got the LA fever, no doubt. Okay, um, I'm excited. <laughs> I bet, I bet. So, so we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll tell Dean Spanos and Stan Kroenke and all the people uh, putting that together that uh, it definitely has resonated with uh, a lot of people and LA. The, the whole thing, if you think back to, you know, all of these years, I remember when the Raiders were there and the Rams were there. I mean, I covered games. At, at at Anaheim and at the Coliseum with the Raiders, so I you know I go back a ways. I remember uh, all of these years and and the the multiple efforts to get a team in LA. The Houston Texans, a lot of people may not know, almost <laughs> were going to be the Los Angeles franchise. And wow. the franchise had been awarded to Los Angeles, but there was a stipulation that the stadium plan had to be in place and approved or the franchise would go to Houston. And that's how the Houston Texans got their franchise. It was going to be Los Angeles' franchise. So I've seen all of these different attempts come, you know, uh, come down the pike. And so it was very important for the NFL to get it right. Obviously, L.A., big market, entertainment, capital of you know, the, the, the world, really. And you, you did not want to go in there and have a situation where it would fail. And so one of the, the ways that is going to succeed is because of the big stadium. And then when you have the big brand new glitzy stadium, you also have to have events even beyond football. So as you mentioned, combine NFL draft, and it was funny during the press conference today, somebody was listening, listing some of those things, you know, Super Bowls, combines, and that sort of thing. And then Goodell kind of said draft. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing that, it's so exciting about it. And then the league announced, as everybody kind of expected, because it was talked about uh, previously, the NFL network is going to headquarter at the stadium as well. And, and you know, from what I recall of um, the, the plans for the stadium and the 
area around the stadium. It's going to be a great, you know, business residential entertainment district that's going to have, you know, a lot there that will attract people 365 days a year. And I would imagine like the Rams and the Chargers will probably have some kind of um, team-themed experience, Hall of Fame, something. I haven't heard that um, specifically, but, you know, I'm just imagining that when you talk about having, you know, a district as, um, you know, as glitzy as they are going to have and as involved as they're going to have, I would think the teams will even do some things on top of that. So it's going to be exciting. And, um, and that while there's a stadium getting ready to go up in Las Vegas too. So the West coast is going to be the place to be for uh, a while here. AFC West trips for you, Jared, just got a little bit different, right? With Vegas and LA <laughs> instead of, uh, instead of San Diego and Oakland. Yeah. 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 Really. Get you out of here on this because I know you have a flight to catch in Orlando. But you appeared, believe it or not, you appeared on the very first episode of this podcast all the way back in training camp. We were talking about the prospects for this Chargers team in 2017. Now that the season is over, how does this team stack up against other contenders in the AFC as we enter 2018 and we see what has happened in free agency and and really how the Chargers ended 2017? Yeah, and you think about the way the Chargers almost made it to the playoffs, okay, after that lousy start, okay. I mean, it it was lousy because they lost the games, but it was promising because they were games that they could have won, right? exactly. So you knew they had something that they were working with, and and then they kind of got it together at the end. And I remember uh, being out there in December and talking to Coach Lynn and, and him talking about how he saw the team grow during the course of the season and not make the mistakes late in the season that it did earlier in the season. And I don't think he was even talking about the kicking game, right? But just, you know, play to play, unit by unit, they had grown as a team. So they have to build on that. And I think the thing that I really wondered about the Chargers as they went down the stretch last year, and I'll still wonder about them, is are they going to be good enough on defense to, to stop the run and good enough on defense to – to really allow themselves to, um, you know, take advantage of those, you know, outstanding pass rushes they have in, in Ingram and Bosa. Um, so I, I, I know they, if I'm saying that, I'm sure that they're saying that themselves. Um, so you, you, you figure that, you figure adding on to the offense. And, and I'm going to be interested to see whether or not, thinking longer term, if they're going to take a hard look at drafting a quarterback. And that's not to say, um, anything about Philip Rivers, but it's just thinking long term. Maybe now is the time you develop somebody, and then in a couple years you might have an option. Two or three years, who knows? Because you know Rivers is is, is at that point of the career where you you have to say, okay, how much longer can he go? But um, I, I'm really bullish on the Chargers, and but you know what? I'm bullish on the whole division, and I think just like if we look over at the um, the NFC South. You know, week to week, you don't know which of those teams is going to beat the other team. And even, you know, the team that's in first place last year, it ended up being the Saints. But the year before that, it was uh, Atlanta. And the year before that, it was Carolina. I'm talking about a different division, obviously. But I'm saying that same thing really kind of translates You're right. to the AFC West in terms of the competitiveness. And, and so, you, yeah, you throw the Chargers and the Chiefs and the Raiders and the Broncos, uh, and, the, and the Broncos being the – you know, the, 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 the last leg right now, and they were in the Super Bowl not too it's hard long to believe. Ago. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm really, uh, I'm really bullish on the division. So they got it. So the Chargers got to handle their business, obviously, in the division, and they'll be uh, able to position themselves for, you know, for bigger and better. But I think when you look at the AFC, it's still about, you know, the teams that have been there in recent years, the, the Patriots, the Steelers, I still think those are going to be the teams to beat. Now, we saw Jacksonville emerge last year, so I think they've got a solid foundation to be a contender again. But, you know, the Chargers have got to think, you know, we can, you know, make that leap too. And they made a, you know, they made a great, they had a great start last year with their new coach. They did, and the Chargers are going to have an opportunity to get better in the draft. They selected number 17 overall, so to your point, maybe get better in the run game, stopping the run, rather, or at the linebacker position, or heck, maybe even get the quarterback of the future. Uh, we'll see what happens. going to be a lot of fireworks in the AFC West, and Jared, I always appreciate your time. It's always great catching up with you. I hope to catch up with you this offseason, and obviously, we'll be seeing you down the line. Yes, indeed. Thanks a lot, my man. All right, Will Brinson joins me on Chargers Weekly, fresh off the owners' meetings in Orlando. And Will, I know there's a lot to unpack over the last few days, but if you could just take fans inside what these last three days were like in Orlando. Yeah, I actually had a short trip there, but I've done the owners' meetings a few times. I think it's my favorite event because you have, you know, first of all, it's, you're, you know, most of it takes place at a at a resort that you know. Typically speaking, I'm not gonna uh, end up at <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, payroll, payroll, payroll wise. Like it's it's the Ritz Carlton, you know. The Ritz Carlton is a it's a gorgeous hotel. Uh, you know, you go get a salad for lunch, and it's like seventeen dollars for a little box yeah. uh, grilled chicken salad. Yeah, cabanas. It's, it's way yeah. You you just realize just how far out of your element you are. Um, at, like how like how much how much wealthier NFL owners are than than even like you know the the wealthy the wealthy of, of the population, but. It's cool because you can rub elbows. You get to go to this party. You get to in- interact with uh, you know the GMs and the head coaches. The, you know they sit down for the breakfast. It's a real uh, you know like it's a, like indie for the combine. You know that that's a full blown convention, and and it feels like this is sort of a kick your feet up, you know, relax. There's a ton of business going on, but these guys bring the family. There are you know they're taking some time off. Agents are there, and and so it's. It's kind of a, a biz casual type of atmosphere in this in this really nice setting, and um, you know it's it's one of those things where you can you can really get some good face time with uh, with the with the inner workings, the, the people who run the NFL. Well, you know what I live for? I live for the coaches' yearbook photo, and I think there was I think there was yeah. twenty nine I think there was twenty nine coaches in it this year. I think uh, who was missing? I think Harbaugh was missing, Carroll was missing. Belichick was missing, but some of the outfits are outstanding. Yep. I, I think that that's probably the highlight for me. Just just checking out that photo annually. Yeah, and uh, I liked how I think Anthony Lynn and John Gruden were center cut in the back this year. Oh yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a reminder. It's a reminder a of how big Anthony Lynn and Coach Lynn is, but also you're like, man, like I kind of tend to think of Gruden as a big dude. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he's not that big, right? I mean, like you know, he's standing there. The, the the disparity between the two is pretty remarkable. And then, you know, you think about, you know, uh, Lynn when he was coaching, or sorry, excuse me, when he was playing, and you're like, man, I mean, he's pretty, you know, pretty tall for a running back. It seems like the style, the, the sort of the physical style had changed too. I don't know, but it's always interesting to see, um, you know, you have, you see the coaches and you, and you know, and you, you see it and you know what they look like in their element, but to see them all jammed together in one photo is, uh, is always wildly entertaining. Of course, Andy Reid rules the day with his. He always does. Yeah, the Tommy Bahama stuff is always going to rule the day, no doubt. You know, Coach Lynn, I want to give him credit though. He had a very clean 
cardigan sweater on. I think he may have been the best dressed. Yeah. But uh, I want to get into the, the highlights from the coaches' breakfast, Will, because there's a lot of new coaches. You got Steve Wilkes, uh, Matt Nagy in Chicago, Patricia in Detroit. And then you got Gruden. You mentioned him. It looked like there was an overflow situation at his table. Uh, what did you take from those discussions at the coaches' breakfast? Yeah, he had a uh, he was he was loaded with people asking uh, plenty of questions, and I, I'm curious with Gruden because I don't. It's hard to tell right now, like whether these Grudenisms and the things that he's saying are things he really believes, or whether he's playing sort of like not not like. So I, you know, I'm from the South, so you know sometimes you'll get in a situation where you wanna you wanna belie just how much you know. So you, you try to act like a country bumpkin, and yeah. I'm not saying Gruden's acting like a country bumpkin, but it feels like he's like he's like, yeah, we got this DJ at practice. We're loaded with analytics. It's like, wait, what? Are you, what? Like, what are you, you have a DJ and you think that's <laughs> analytics? What are you talking about? And then he then he said he said he's like anybody. You know, if you're from Oakland. You got a chance to sign with us. It's like, well, that, that's a terrible philosophy for signing players. <laughs> like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's great if you can find good players from Oakland, but you don't just want to sign people from Oakland because that's where they're from. So I, I can't tell if he is, if, you know, he wants to throw it back to 98 and, and um, you know, talk about combining Doug Martin and Marshawn Lynch. I can't tell if this is all an act or if it's all, if it's all serious. Because if it's all an act, then I, I'm I'm a little concerned about how many games the Raiders will win in 2017. But at the very least, John Gruden is providing us a highly entertaining and 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 look, I mean, don't, I, I, like he needs to be around. He needs to be coaching. It's way more entertaining than than someone who's giving boring coach speak. Um, and so I, I am very curious to see how this all unfolds with what they're building. Because when you you know when you add Doug Martin, Marshawn, I mean Marshawn Lynch has been there, but you add Doug Martin, you add Jordy Nelson. You know, it has a little bit of a 2015 All Star, 2015 Fantasy yeah. team feel to it, and you're not you're not sure if it's definitively you know going to work. And I think too, John Gruden is probably throwing people off the scent a little bit. I th- I think those nine years in the booth, he's become more of a showman. You know, we talk about analytics. Of course, yeah. all these teams are employing analytics into their their decision making and acting like he doesn't know. That a DJ on the field. I, I didn't understand that either. But it's intriguing because the entire AFC West has really changed around the Chargers because Alex Smith is out of the division now. Obviously, we just talked about Gruden, uh, the new coaches, new quarterback under center in Denver. And then, like I said, a much quieter offseason for the Chargers. Uh, what do you make of this division? We're 30 days away from the draft and a lot of free agency stuff is behind us. But what do you make of this AFC West as we stand here in, in the spring? Well, I'm a noted, uh, not Chargers fan, but I mean, I'm, I am, I am, I'm noted for stumping for the Chargers before the season every year. And I'm not alone in that. I mean, I think there are plenty of other media members, but I had the Chargers going deep last year. They had the look about them. Um, and I'll probably be doing it again because I think for the first time in a while, the Chargers really have some consistency in a, in a, in a two year stretch. I mean, you know, even last year when you have, you know, Philip Rivers there and you approve the offensive line around him and Joey Bosa's, you know, coming into his second season, um, you, you still had the move. You still had, uh, you know, Anthony Lynn as a first-year head coach. And, and I think that's, you know, I think those things showed themselves early on in the season. I think the Chargers struggled a little bit 
to deal with the, you know, the, the lack of a home field advantage right out of the gates. And I think there's, you know, I think Anthony Lynn was adjusting to being a new head coach. I mean, it takes time. It's not an easy job. And you really saw that team come together down the stretch. And I, I mean, you know, you don't want to put too much into second half momentum, but I think if you can have a good second half and then carry it over with a consistent season or consistent off season, excuse me, I'm going to like what you're putting on the paper uh, the following year. And I think the chargers really present that to me, as far as the rest of the division goes, the chiefs are still maybe the most dangerous team. And it, I'll be very curious to see what the combination of, uh, uh, of Patrick Mahomes and Sammy Watkins two really high upside guys oh, yeah. uh, do in terms of do in terms of taking the cap off of the chiefs offense, because Alex Smith was great last year threw the ball well downfield, um, you know, really elevated his game in terms of the vertical passing attack, and, and is a you know plays mistake free football, but they did have that lull in the middle, and I think it's possible that Patrick Mahomes and Sammy Watkins could turn that into a, one of the top three or four offenses in the league, I and mean, they could challenge to be the best offense in the NFL because of his arm strength and his mobility, and 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 what Watkins can, can do for you in terms of not just being a vertical threat, but also being dangerous in the screen game. Uh, you know, of course, they have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I, I don't think that offense will skip much of a beat. I think the Chiefs really, you know, are going to maybe suffer a little bit on the defensive side of things. And the Broncos, they're, I think they're, they're a tough team to, to figure out because they are. they're in transition, but they don't know it. And I, that, we're going to find out, we're going to find out what they really think of themselves in that roster and Case Keenum when they're on the clock at number five. Because if they take a quarterback, and I think it's pretty likely that they take a quarterback at five because this class is good. If they take a quarterback at five, I think it says that they know that they're still trying to reboot and still trying to find the answer. If they don't, maybe they see Paxton Lynch as a, as a guy who just needs more time to develop. Maybe they see Case Keenum as a multiple-year bridge guy. So that draft pick's going to tell us a lot about the, the Broncos. I still think they need a lot to click right to really be competitive this year. And then the Raiders, like I said, I, 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 don't, I can't figure out what's happening, but I, I, don't, I don't want to bet on John Gruden, but I don't want to bet against him either, if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. And the Chargers hasn't been a very splashy free agency period because you don't need it to be. You have a lot of guys coming back. I think they pounced, no pun intended, they pounced on Mike Pouncey when he became available <laughs> with the Dolphins. And then you get guys like Virgil Green and uh, Caleb Sturgis to, to kind of even out the roster. I go back to the Chiefs, though. You lose Marcus Peters, you get Eric Berry back. It's still one of the most explosive offenses in the league. And then with Denver, you're 100% right. If, if they select a quarterback with the fifth overall pick, I mean, you have selected two quarterbacks in the first round, and mm-hmm. you, still, you, you don't know if they're going to be franchise guys. And then you bring in a guy like Case Keenum, who had a really good year in Minnesota, but you look at his entire body of work in the NFL, and that's not – hundred percent even either. So I think that there's a lot of questionable moves in the AFC West that, that could lean either way, but at the same time it looks like the Chargers hopefully can kind of ride the ship and, and have some momentum going into into twenty eighteen. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean I think the the one thing that I really like about what LA did and I'm this is this is I'm glad that this this will be my first interview in, in like a year where I've managed to not use the the San Diego phrase, uh, but it was good that you know Chargers.com. Um, <laughs> finally getting used to it. Finally, click, it's finally clicking in. But I think that says something. Like you're, you know, it's, it's finally starting to be part of the mindset. You know, you're used to it. It's normal, and I think that I think 
to me, that's going to matter to Phillip Rivers to have, to have a year under his belt. And then the bigger thing, and you talk about the Mike Pouncey edition, I think that this offensive line is probably the best offensive line that Phillip Rivers has had um, since maybe, oh, I don't know, seven, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe like the Nick Harper days, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, back in the day when you know, it was him and LT running it, they had a really good offensive line, and it sort of became a weakness for a long time. I mean, Philip Rivers was under a lot of duress for many years, and I think to Tom Telesco's credit, uh, he has done a good job exploring not just the draft, you know, you, and you get a guy like Forrest Lamp back who's basically like a free second round, free you know, first or second round pick at this point. Um, you know, Dan Feeney uh, was a it was a very nice pick, and then you add, you know, Pouncey, you add Okun, you know, you, you're getting these guys and you're loading them up in free agency and the draft, and now suddenly Rivers has protection in front of him. And if you protect Philip Rivers and you have Keenan Allen and you have Hunter Henry, he's going to carve you up. And, and so I think uh, for me, if you know that's the biggest selling point for the Chargers is I know Phillip Rivers will be protected, and when he's protected, he's going to be good. No doubt. NFL draft, 30 days away. Uh, Chargers going to have a chance to improve their roster at number 17 overall. And I want to move to your mock draft, Will, because I told you offline, it's the most fun mock draft I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, you have some history being made at the top. You have four quarterbacks going in the top five picks. You have six quarterbacks going in the top 15. And that's first of all, that's entirely possible. And secondly, if that happens, several teams are going to benefit, including the Chargers. And that leads me to, to the pick that you have for them. Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker for Virginia Tech, unbelievable, 19 years old, 6'5", 253. What do you think Tremaine Edmonds could bring to that linebacking core for the Chargers? That They need linebacking help, and they also need to help stop the run. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, look, and again, like we talk about this Chargers team, there's not a lot of weaknesses. And, I, you know, I mean, you know, you could, you could argue that they could continue. And I, I do think that that's a good spot to be in if you're a GM, too, is that you, don't, you aren't required to go into the draft and say, all right, we need this. You know, you can actually go into a draft and you can draft the best player available and try to come away with, you know, top-tier talent, not, you know, independent of, uh, independent of what your roster needs are. But, I mean, that being said, I think Edmonds is a guy who is young, has flashed, uh, you know, talent in terms of being a versatile guy and, and the ability to stop the run and, and to, to move around in coverage. And, and in, a, in, a, in a 2018 defense, you need those versatile pieces. You know, you want to be able to, to shift seamlessly, um, you, know, into a, you know, into a nickel type of situation where you can, you know, when, when guys are subbing in and out and, and they're spreading the field, you, you know, you, you want those guys who can play all over the place. And I think they have several of them up front. I mean, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, you know, those guys are malleable and that's a, that's a big, big plus in, in 2018. And uh, Edmonds, I think has a, has a ton of upside as well at the position. And you're right in terms of the economics, that's the thing. The, the teams that are going to, the teams that are in a really good spot in this draft. Um, and I look at it a lot like last year when we saw Marshawn Lattimore to the saints, Derek Barnett to the Eagles, yep. Malik Hooker to the Colts. These teams who are outside the top end, and, and they got the players because of the wide receiver run, but this year it's going to be quarterbacks. And I think uh, when you look at a group of teams that are in really good shape, the Bears, 49ers, and, and, and Raiders at 8, 9, 10 are in a great spot because of the quarterbacks who will go early, and the Bucks at 7 as well. Um, but then the second tier of those, those teams, you know, you have the – the Packers at 14, you have the Redskins at 13, you have the Chargers at 17, the Seahawks at 18, Cowboys even at 19. I mean, 
all those teams have their quarterback, right? They're probably not going to be drafting a quarterback. And if Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph go early and, and in the top 20, then all of a sudden, you know, you have you know, six, six quarterbacks who could go early enough that it pushes high-quality players down. And that's a big, big benefit for a team like the Chargers. You know, the Saints... The Cardinals, these are also teams that we're not talking about that, that need a quarterback. I mean, the, the Cardinals have a bridge situation with Glennon and Bradford. Drew Brees is going to be on that roster for probably two more seasons. We're not even talking about some of the teams that have older quarterbacks in place right now that need to be thinking about the future. And when you look at this class, Will, I mean, it, it could be historic in that we've never seen five quarterbacks go in the top 10 or four quarterbacks go in the top 10. But you, you also look at these playoff teams that may want to move up a, a couple of spots to get that quarterback in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, like the Ravens qualify as well. Yep, that's another um, one. Yeah, I mean, it would be, it would, yeah, you know, the Steelers are there. They're probably a little lower than, than they'd like to be unless somebody drops. And look, the Chargers qualify too. I, mean, I, I, went, I went to college at the same time that Phillip Rivers did. And, and believe me when I say that I don't feel young, he's, you know, he's taken more of a beating than I have. And, uh, and he's got more kids. So I'm sure he feels much older than I do. Still playing at a high level, but, I, you know, I don't think that it, you know, and look, Rivers was there. You know, Breeze was in, in, uh, in San Diego when Rivers got drafted. He knows how it works. Um, you know, all these guys do. So it, it would be, you know, we haven't really seen a ton of, you know, I think you think back to the 04 class even, you know, ironically enough, when it was Roethlisberger and, and, and Rivers and, and Eli, you know, when that, that type of talent was being taken that high and, you know, those guys are those guys are older. You know, the Giants are a team that have a quarterback, but they're going to need to think about it too. So it's going to depend a lot on how these playoff caliber teams with these franchise quarterbacks are, you know, are making their decisions as far as new franchise quarterbacks go and when they want to try and find a replacement. And it could end up really pushing down, um, you know, some of these high-quality players at the top of the draft. And then also defensive line and linebacker. You mentioned Edmonds, Roquan Smith, Vita Vea, Deron Payne, Maurice Hurst. These are all guys. One of those guys, Rashawn Evans, one of those guys is going to be available at number 17 and really fill a need for the Chargers. Well, you said, did you go to college with Phillip Rivers at NC State? Yeah, yeah, I was at, I, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I mean, I was, I, I don't think Phil and I had any class, or Phillip and I had any classes together, but uh, we were, yeah, we were there around the same time. I need, all right, we'll get you out of here on this. Just give me a Phillip Rivers NC State memory that, I can bring back to the Hoke Performance Center. Just, just your. I know watching him fourteen years ago versus versus now, it's probably the same. He's he's still that fiery, competitive dude. Oh yeah. Oh no. I mean, like he he is the. I mean, it's yeah, basically the same guy. I think that. I mean, I, look, I uh, I was at the um, NC State Pro Day, and uh, D'Antonio. Well, here's the crazy part: like like all these guys who played around the same time, like D'Antonio. Uh, Burnett, who's the an assistant athletic director at NC State, was a was a linebacker back in the day, and uh, Thunder Dan and we were talking about. I was talking to him about how we went down to Jacksonville, Florida, for the Gator Bowl, and uh, and it was this is probably NC State's best season in, in like twenty five years. But they beat they beat beat up throttled Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl, and uh, and ultimately. Um, and ultimately won that. And, you know, it's not winning the Sugar Bowl or anything, but it was it was a big deal. And yeah. the entire team went down to the landing and was partying with all the NC State fans. And I think I think anybody there would remember, um, you know, how cool that was. I'll tell you that the other thing to ask him about, if you, if you want, there's a there's an old 
uh, jumbotron thing that they played for Chuck Amato. And they would have Chuck Amato, Chuck the Chest, dude. You know, talk I remember that. Chuck Amato. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Chuck was Phil's coach. And they, they did this Sopranos intro. But instead of Tony Soprano driving in the, the red Suburban, it's Amato driving into Raleigh in his, uh, in his red Corvette. <laughs> and he's got his sunglasses down. And, and, uh, and so they, they did that. They did that with Amato. And then uh, the other thing, I think that... Um, Amato, you like Amato Rivers are just you know, the the faces of that program. Uh, Amato did he rolled up in a I think he rolled up in a motorcycle to try and recruit AJ Davis away from Carolina and and over to NC State. So, I mean that that's not Rivers related, but it it's those Amato memories are what you know what really stand out from him and him and uh, Rivers time. Oh, that's amazing. Well, what do you got going on over the next uh, month, and where where can people find your work on CBS Sports? Uh, yeah, cbssports.com slash NFL. We've got the uh, Pick 6 podcast we're doing. We're going to be doing some draft preview stuff for that, too. And, uh, and on Twitter, at Will Brinson. I mean, the, you know, the website stuff just churning out. I've actually got a, a feature coming, something related to that NC State Pro Day. So people who are tangentially connected to, the, to, to, to Rivers through, uh, through that can, um, can, can, might be interested to see what that program is doing as well. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I can't thank you enough for your time. Good stuff. And ho- hopefully we can do this again this offseason or as the 2018 regular season uh, fires up, man. Yeah, for sure. Happy to do it anytime. And that'll do it. My thanks to Jared Bell and Will Brinson for joining me. And thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Chargers Weekly on Apple Podcasts. And if you could, please leave a review. Help spread the word this offseason. Enjoy the weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Harry.